0: Divergence, the podcast miniseries. Welcome to the Maiden Voyage of the Divergence Podcast Miniseries. My name's RL Solberg. My friends call me Rob, and I'm going to be your host for a historical journey that we're going to take here in this miniseries through the first 3 centuries of the Christian faith. I'm really grateful you decided to tune in, because we've got some interesting things to discuss. So what we're looking at here is we've got an 11-part mini-series that we've put together in which we're going to be examining the Jewish-Christian relations in the early church, specifically looking at the first three centuries of the faith. And yes, this is the same subject that I talk about in my new book, Divergence. But this miniseries is a companion to that book. It's the same subject matter. You certainly don't need to own the book in order to listen in and get something from this series, but I would highly recommend buying the book because 100% of the profits are being donated to fighting anti-Semitism across the world. So you can find out more about that at DivergenceBook.com or on my website, RLSolberg.com, either way. So, okay, let's get into this. On today's episode, which again it's the first of an 11-part series, we're going to kind of we're going to set the table and give a little background about the reason uh, that we're even exploring this era. We're going to establish the historical context that we're looking at in the first three centuries. Um, We're going to talk about persecution that was underway, the nature of public discourse that was happening, you know, what were religious convictions like during this time period. And most interesting, probably, is the idea of racial relations. So we're going to talk about what were racial relations and racial theory like in these first three centuries. Now, when I began the research that eventually turned into my book, Divergence, I had no idea that the world was about to witness another wave of anti-Semitism. I mean, if you're you're paying attention to the news at all, you're seeing some of these stories. It's pretty crazy. And I got to say, it just breaks my heart when any people group suffers hostility or hatred or prejudice at the hands of anybody else. I mean, it should break any Christian's heart. But I find it even more tragic when the people doing the hating are Christians, and the people being hated are Jews. Now, not all Christians harbor anti-Semitism, of course, I know that. But the problem is pervasive enough that I felt to, moved to do something about it, and this is why I'm donating uh, the profits from the book. And by the way, I was thrilled when my publisher, William Williamson College Press, wanted to join and donate their portion of the book as well. So props to them as well. Now... There is a, um, there's a unique kind of complex historical relationship between Jews and Christians. I mean, Israel, it, we read this in our Old Testament, Israel is a nation supernaturally called forth by God. The historical thread that began with Abraham sometime around 1900 BC has, has evolved down through the centuries into this glorious kind of colorful tapestry, right? And it continues to grow today. And we Christians have been woven into that historical story that started, what, 4,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul writes in, in Galatians 3 here, I'm reading starting at verse 26, "...for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith." For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Some some translations read neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. How cool is that? So the promise... 4,000 years ago, that God gave to Abraham, Christians today, through faith, of any ethnicity or race, can step into that promise. It's a beautiful thing. So there is this interesting shared history, though, between Jews and Christians, right? Christians could rightly uh, view the Jewish people as our spiritual cousins, I mean, in essence, the gospel could be viewed as a Jewish story. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, completing the promises of the Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures. And this is something that the early Christian writers roundly affirmed, not just the extra-biblical writers uh, like Cyprian and Melito and, and all that, but also even the New Testament authors affirmed that continuous theology, that continuous story from Abraham through Moses, David through Jesus. It's, it's all one story. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting is anti-Semitism, you know, the prejudice or the hatred of the Jewish people, it's not the main point of my book or even of this podcast. My research was originally inspired by the apologetic work that I do. So in defending biblical Christianity against the growing heresy, and I do think it's a heresy, that's known as Torahism. These, These are folks who, they profess faith in Jesus, and at the same time, they teach that Christians are required to keep Torah, which means keep the Old Testament laws. And you may have heard of uh, the Hebrew Roots Movement or the Black Hebrew Israelites. These are groups that believe we should be keeping all of the Old Testament laws given to Israel, including the Saturday Sabbath, the, uh, the dietary restrictions, biblical feasts, and all, and all that. And at the root of Torahism is the idea that Christian theology was corrupted in the early centuries of the faith. This is what they believe, uh, that it was corrupted in the early centuries of the faith by rampant anti-Semitism. Uh, so they say that all this anti-Jewish sentiment in those early years kind of came to a head at the Council of Nicaea, right? So it's this foundational belief about the the roots of the Christian faith that I actually set out to investigate originally. And my goal was to kind of understand, okay, what's the, what's the true nature of Jewish-Christian relations through these, at least through the first three centuries of the faith, from the time of Jesus and the apostles up to the Council of Nicaea, uh, which we'll get into in this series, uh, which happened in AD 325, the year 325, and it was pulled together by Constantine, who is sort of a villainous character, uh, depending on who you are. He's got a lot of bad press, and we're going to take a look at that too, a little bit. But so, yeah, that, that's that's what I wanted to investigate. This idea that hey, the Council of Nicaea was the scene by Torahists and and those who kind of hold to this. We'll call it a conspiracy theory. Uh, they see the Council of Nicaea as this sort of crystallizing event. They say it was there that the church officially embraced the the anti-Jewish attitudes of the early Christians. So, I set out to look at that. okay, what's what's the actual true nature of Jewish Christian relations in this time? And after studying, scores of early writings. I mean, I was reading original source material and also reading the work of modern Christian scholars and Jewish scholars as well. What I discovered in all that was that things aren't nearly as black and white as we think. So the relationship between Jews and early Christians was was complex and nuanced. A Jewish scholar named Daniel Boyer in a great book called Borderlines, he says this. I'm going to read a quote here from the uh, from the preface. He says this, quote, the affiliation between what we call Judaism and what we call Christianity is much more complex than most scholars, let alone most lay folk, imagine. So the two groups were, you know, you can imagine, like I just mentioned, that the theology, we've got a shared history between Christians and Jews. There's a common sacred texts. The Christian Old Testament is exactly the same body of text as the Jewish Bible, known as the Tanakh. Uh, there's also this conjoined theology, right? So, so Jews and Christians were each trying to work out what this whole Jesus thing meant. I mean, it was a paradigm shift for the entire world. It kind of, I mean, it split history in two, right? So both sides were kind of fumbling for solid footing on what this whole Jesus thing meant, and they were trying to do so in, in these ever-shifting political and cultural sands of, you know, the the first century Roman Empire. And let me just tell you up front that what I discovered was that, yes, anti-Jewish sentiment absolutely did exist in early Christianity, but it wasn't what our modern—or uh, let me say this for me—this wasn't what my modern mind expected. You know, the clashes that we see are chiefly based on issues of theology, not race. In fact, racial theory in, an, in antiquity— that was a lot different than today, you know, and I had to figure that into my findings. How do we how do we balance that out? Um, and in addition, I mean, during these early centuries, you've got Jewish Christian tensions that were actually more of a two way street than I, than we realized. Again, I'll say it than I would have realized. But in the end, I mean, this was it was a fabulous project for me. I was both enlightened um, and encouraged by my research. You know, I mean, these are the formative centuries of the Christian faith. So I wanted to bring to you what I found, and again, this is a companion to my book, and, and what I'm, I, I'm just hoping for, I'm praying that you guys, as you're listening in, you, you find a little bit of enlightenment, a little bit of encouragement uh, in understanding the early centuries, kind of the roots of our faith. Okay, so let's dive in a little further into this, this growing religious movement known as Torahism. And uh, let me just pause and say, Torahism, that's that term is sort of an umbrella term for the belief, as I mentioned earlier, that followers of Jesus are required to keep the law of Moses. Um, some people call it other things, Torah-observant Christianity, um, but like I said, it's groups like the Hebrew Roots Movement, the Black Hebrew Israelites, 119 Ministries. There's, there are many groups out there that fall along a spectrum, but but essentially they they believe the same core things that the sermons preached every sunday in christian churches contain a a long corrupted theology. And even the, the pastors giving those sermons don't even realize it. You know, they've inherited from their fathers, who inherited from their fathers, these corruptions and these lies. And then when you trace that all the way back, the root of the allegation is ultimately the first few centuries of Christianity. There, there's this belief that anti-Semitism ran rampant among all the church fathers, and that these, these anti-Jewish views ultimately came to a head at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. That's where many of these folks claim that the Christian church officially sort of separated itself from the Jewish roots of the faith. At Nicaea, they claim, the church chose Easter over Passover, and they chose Sunday worship over the Saturday Sabbath, and they made other declarations, you know, aimed at sort of separating or, or divesting Christianity of its, of its Jewish heritage And so, says Torahism, the teachings that were initially given to us by Jesus and the apostles had become corrupt by the time of the Council of Nicaea, and they remain so today, and that's what we're inheriting. So, you know, the question is, we have to be open-minded and say, okay, could that be true? And that's what I set out to figure out, right? I wanted to examine that that claim. So in this series, we're going to examine those first three centuries. Uh, Our goal is going to be to kind of piece together an accurate understanding of the nature and the degree of anti-Jewish sentiment that was evident or present in that historical period. And then we're going to also see if there was anti-Jewish sentiment, what impact did that have on Christian theology? Did it send us veering off course from, from the faith and the theology that we were given by Jesus and the apostles? So let me give you kind of an overview of the methodology that I used in my research, and that kind of lays out what we're going to be going through in this podcast mini series. So we begin with a survey of the New Testament writings. And, and I focused on passages that specifically con- convey the theology and the attitudes of Jesus and the New Testament authors concerning specifically Judaism and the Jewish people and their role in God's story and all that. And then I use that as the sort of baseline for how Christians ought to treat Jews and Judaism, how we we should regard these things, right? This is our biblical baseline. And from there, I looked at the writings of the Church Fathers and some some early Jewish writings as well, uh, and also some Christian scholars of the era, historians uh, and rabbis too and I kind of traced the Christian theology and Christian attitudes towards the Jewish people from the New Testament through the writings of their early church fathers, right? So first, second, third century, even early fourth century writings, kind of tracing through all the way up to the Council of Nicaea in 325. And then at the end, we're going to compare the state of Christian theology and the attitudes towards Jews and, and Judaism. We're going to compare... Those things, as they were at the end or the conclusion of the Council of Nicaea, we'll compare those back to our New Testament baseline, and let's see how much has changed, how much has perhaps become corrupted. We're kind of looking at those two trails, the trail of theology, was theology corrupted, and also the attitudes of Christians, early Christians, toward Jews. So our goal is going to be to determine if, by the conclusion of the Council of Nicaea, Christian theology was altered due to anti-Jewish attitudes? And if so, how and to what extent was it changed? Now, to help with this comparison, there's two kind of contentious Jewish-Christian issues um, that we're going to use as sort of theological markers, because they are present throughout this entire era, and they'll give us a really sort of a compass points to use. So these two theological markers, the first one is the Jewish Sabbath— you know, which is observed on the last day of the week, versus the Christian tradition of gathering on the first day of the week on Sunday as the Lord's Day. So we're going to take a look at that issue in the New Testament, in the early writings, and at, at Nicaea. And then secondly, um, we're going to look at the matter of the Jewish observance of Passover versus the Christian celebration of Easter. So these two issues are discussed in the New Testament and in the writings of the early church and at Nicaea. So... As we work our way through the first three centuries of Jewish-Christian relations, these two issues are going to provide us with a a consistent point of measurement of the the degree and the nature of anti-Jewish impact on Christian theology. Okay, so there's your overview, and now we're going to get into some detail. We're going to start by looking at the historical context of this era. You know, our, our study is gonna center on early writings and early events, so it's important for us to establish this framework for this whole era that we're examining. So that, that way we're gonna have the proper context uh, for the ancient documents that we're gonna be taking a look at. So we're gonna take a brief look at three areas. First is persecution, and then public discourse, and third, we'll look at racial relations. So in the area of of persecution, you know, the the legal status of Judaism and Christianity differed in the Roman Empire during this era. So this era we're looking at from Jesus to the Council of Nicaea, it's basically from the year 30 through 325. That's kind of referred to as the Anti-Nicene Era. It's the A-N-T-E, so prior to Nicaea, Anti-Nicene Era. So during this time, Judaism was considered a, a permitted religion, a religio licita. And, and as such, you know, they were largely exempt from the requirements that the Romans imposed on other religions. However, you know, we've got early writings from people like Suetonius that tell us that the Jews did undergo occasional persecution at the hands of Rome. For example, in the year 19, Tiberius expelled the Jews from Rome, and then 30 years later, in the year 49, Claudius did the same thing. And Rome originally saw Christianity as just another Jewish sect, um, that, at least up until the year 64, when the Emperor Nero blamed that massive fire in Rome on, quote, the Christians. And after that, Christianity began being viewed as, as separate from Judaism, and Christianity was branded an illegal religion, a religio illicita. So the growing Christian church suffered a lot of persecution at the hands of the, of the Roman state. And not only from, from Rome, but also from other groups that held opposing beliefs, such as the Jews and, and Gnostics. And in, in early Christianity, martyrdom, it was not an uncommon occurrence, right? Some Christians, like Ignatius, fascinating to read his letters, they counted themselves blessed to, to be martyred for their faith. So, so at one point, Ignatius was called to Rome, and he knew he was facing execution. And he also knew that the Roman church was gonna try to fight against that and, and try to you know, save his life. And so he wrote them a letter. And it says this, let me quote from the letter. It says, quote, Pray, leave me to be a meal for the beasts, for it is they who can provide my way to God. I am his wheat, ground fine by the lion's teeth to be made purest bread for Christ. Wow, pretty amazing. And that is actually in fact the fate that Ignatius met. Now don't get me wrong, Christian persecution wasn't this overwhelming constant thing. It ebbed and flowed across the empire. Um, and it differed from region to region. You know, in extreme cases, believers were beheaded and, and crucified. They were uh, burned at the stake. They were used as torches to light roads by Nero, uh, fed to the wild beasts in the arena like Ignatius here. You know, and they, and, and they met other types of violent ends for their profession of faith in Jesus. In fact, Roman authorities would frequently force suspected Christians to pay homage to the emperor as a deity as a test of their faith. You know, so Jews were exempted from this as long as they paid something called the Fiscus Judaicus. But there are recorded occasions when Christians of Jewish descent, and remember, all of the very early Christians were Jewish. And there are recorded occasions here where where Christians of Jewish descent would claim to be Jewish when the Roman authorities would confront them. And so what would the Roman authorities do? They would take them to the local synagogue to validate their declaration of being a Jew. And we have records where Jewish authorities would refuse to acknowledge this Christian as a fellow Jew, which sometimes even led to their execution. Now, at this time, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they had a level of authority and a level of political clout in Jerusalem. So they were able to bring a whole lot of pressure on the developing Christian community. And we're going to look at in detail uh, in the upcoming episodes, but the New Testament records a lot of that persecution that early Christians endured at the hands of the Jewish religious authorities, including, of course, Jesus. But writings after the New Testament reveal that the Jewish leadership continued to persecute Christians, I mean, even after the fall of Jerusalem in the year 70. So Jewish Christians were increasingly pushed out of the synagogue, and they lost the protected status that was granted to Judaism. What's interesting is that while Christians during the anti-Nicene period, they spoke out sometimes loudly against unbelieving Jews, but they stopped short of maltreatment or violence. Now, sadly, Christianity didn't remain in that sort of peaceful posture. I mean, beginning beginning late in the 4th century, as I'm sure many of you know, parts of Christendom took a uh, decidedly unbiblical turn in their opinions and their treatment of the Jewish people. So Christian leaders, I mean, I think John Chrysostom is probably one of the first, they began preaching against the Jews as people, using disparaging and sometimes even hateful rhetoric. And over the centuries, this grew into the Christian anti-Semitism that we see today. And that's a sad reality, and we have to admit that. But in the period we're looking at, the Christians were not mistreating or, or being violent towards the Jewish people. And we're gonna get into that more as we go through some of these early writings in the upcoming episodes. We'll see how that plays out. So the second area we wanna look at is this idea of, okay, we know how the world is today and it feels pretty crazy, especially in this era uh, of the internet and trolling and all kinds of stuff. So the question becomes, well, what was public discourse like back in the olden days back in antiquity you know what, what how did people uh, talk with one another what was the tone and also what were the religious convictions at this time how did what did people think of their religion you know nowadays it's like your truth and my truth and all that and nowadays it's a lot of uh public discourse becomes in some cases quite caustic let's say so the question was for me as as i started setting out in reading some of these early writings What's the context in which I'm reading this? How? What would I consider to be normative in a discussion between two people, given the context of the time of history that they lived in? So in looking into this, I mean, in the Roman Empire, what I discovered was that the nature of public discourse and the intensity of religious convictions were much different than we see today, and we have to keep that in mind while we're reading these early writings. So to accurately evaluate the literature from this period that we're looking through, you know, we need to understand the culture and the climate in which those writings emerged. So I'll tell you what seems shocking to our modern Western minds, you know, like burning someone at the stake for what they believe, that was the reality in which these early Christian writers, including the New Testament authors, that's the reality in which they operated. So in antiquity, someone's religious beliefs, their convictions, could be a matter of life and death, literally. So when you've got a culture where both the state and religious authorities would oppress and even execute people, based on matters of faith and what they believed, you know, the nature and the intensity of the public discourse naturally followed suit with that. So believe it or not, modern dialogue in the public sphere is significantly more civil and respectful than the exchanges of the Roman Empire during this era. There's a couple of scholars, Smith and Covino, they wrote this, quote, praise and blame in the form of panegyric, which means elaborate praise, and invective, which would be, you know, insulting or abusive language, those were essential components of Greek culture. And they also said this, quote, much of Roman rhetoric and literature including poetry is encomiastic, which means praising, you know, highly praising of people, or vituperative, which means, you know, bitter or abusive in form. So basically what he's saying is all kinds of Roman literature, the Roman rhetoric, they're either highly praising people or it's very bitter and very abusive, you know? I mean, it wasn't uncommon for public conversations between opponents to include, I, I read some stuff that, you know, the scorn and the ridicule, it kind of causes your modern sensibilities to bristle. You know, there's a, there's a historian, uh, Dr. Martin Jean, Jane, hope I'm saying that right. Um, he wrote this about about that period, quote, the famous speaker and politician, Marcus Tullius Cicero, for instance, when he defended his supporter, Cestius, did not shrink from publicly accusing the enemy of incest with his brothers and sisters, close quote. So, I mean, even in ancient Rome, where you think kind of anything goes, incest was an unlawful sexual practice, okay? And it was considered deeply immoral. So this was a very deep insult. And so we don't see that kind of stuff, even from our let's say, more abrasive political figures of the day, we don't see that kind of stuff happening in the public arena as they did in in ancient Rome. And keeping those two eras in mind, the persecution and the public discourse and all that, then we look at racial relations in antiquity. This is kind of our third area to look at. It's really important for us to have an understanding because we hear these heartbreaking modern-day stories of especially Christians, you know, verbally and physically attacking Jews and calling them Christ killers. And scenes like this play out between school kids, you know, in the Bronx, or grown adults. In my opinion, this is a pernicious thread of sin that's wound its way down through the centuries. And we have to own that part of it, okay? So, I mean, the, the great reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century, right? This guy's the father of the Reformation. He actually, in some of his documents, he's, he calls for the destruction of the Jews in Germany. And this is in the 1500s, right? He's, he wrote, quote, first set fire to their synagogues. Second, I would advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed, close quote. Okay, so that's (laughs) pretty powerful language. And uh, especially the fact that we know that it was set in Germany and we know what happened about 500 years after that, that's very disturbing. And then there's a documentary film called Forbidden Peace where uh, Rose Price, this this Polish Jew and Holocaust survivor, is telling this heart-wrenching story about how the Nazi camp guards would be telling her that they're following Jesus' orders as they struck her, which is pretty amazing. And, and, and even more amazing, I think, is that Rose later, as a Jew, came to faith in Christ, which is it's an incredible story. But So you've got this stuff that we as Christians can't turn a blind eye to, right? I mean, m- many historians believe that the foundation of the Holocaust, which I think we could agree is the worst atrocity the Jewish people ever endured in history, including everything we read about in the Old Testament, that was sort of instigated or fomented during that 1,500 years of anti-Jewish sentiment that came before it there's no denying the existence of anti-semitism so don't hear me saying that and as we're going to see in in the coming episodes this sort of hatred and this persecution of the jewish people is unbiblical we're going to we're going to unpack that in some detail as we continue on we're going to see how it's contrary to the teachings of jesus and the new testament authors so however all of that said regarding anti-semitism here is maybe the most shocking thing that i discovered that to apply the modern concept of racism to ancient cultures, in particular, the, the idea of applying that to the, the early Christian view of Jews, that's an anachronistic error. It's not accurate. First of all, the economic and social tensions that shape this modern understanding of, of anti-Semitism and all the historical baggage that we have with it, those things weren't present in the ancient Near East. So there's a Jewish scholar named Shay Cohen uh, who wrote on this topic quite a bit, and he's got some very insightful things to share. And let me read you a, an extended quote of his. It's just about a paragraph or so. But again, this is from a scholar who is not a Christian. He's a Jewish man, brilliant man. And this is what he wrote, quote, anti-Semitism did not exist in antiquity. This term was coined in 1879 by a German writer who wished to bestow scientific, there's air quotes there, scientific respectability on the hatred of Jews by arguing that Jews and Germans belong to different species of humanity or races. Again, he puts the word races in quotes. Okay, Shea continues here. But the ancients did not have anything resembling a racial theory. They observed that different nations had different moral characteristics, but did not explain these differences by appeal to what we would call a racial theory. Instead, they argued that climate, soil, and water determined both the physical and moral characteristics of nations. Therefore, the notion of anti-Semitism is inappropriate to antiquity. Okay, so that kind of sets our bearings on what the racial mindset was of the ancients. And and while anti-Semitism didn't exist as a racial issue like we would think of it today anti-Jewish sentiment certainly did exist, but the nature was different than we think. So, you know, in the non-Christian world, in the secular world, so to speak, the anti-Jewish sentiment was chiefly a matter of of politics rather than a racial thing or a religious thing. Uh, Another short quote from Cohen, he says, quote, The persecution of Jews by Epiphanes, the attack on Alexandrian Jewry by the mob, and the destruction of the temple by Titus were each caused by local factors and not by some deep-rooted anti-Judaism. Nevertheless, the literary propaganda spawned by these conflicts helped shape the anti-Semitic image of the Jew of later generations. So this is from uh, his book called From the Maccabees to the Mishnah. Very good book if you're interested in this period of history. Shea Cohen is the author's name. I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but it's very interesting to see how he views this era and how he views anti-Semitism of the era. Okay, so if we step back and we say, look, here's how in antiquity race was viewed, that it wasn't actually ethnicity or race or skin color that was the problem, it was something else. When I bring that up, a lot of times what people will say, well, then wait a second, isn't there a racial clash in the New Testament between the Jews and the Samaritans? What is that all about? So as I looked into that with this kind of new perspective, this new understanding, I found out that the, that Jewish Samaritan clash is also it's also not a matter of a racial mindset. The animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans didn't emerge, didn't emerge as an issue of race, but it was actually an issue of theology. The Samaritans traced their lineage to the time of Eli and considered themselves to be of Jewish ethnicity. They descended through the Israelite tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So th- they were Jews. Samaritans were Jewish people ethnically. The difference is that the Samaritans followed the Israelite Samaritan version of the Torah. And of course, they believed theirs was the true and proper faith that was held by the ancient Israelites. And they considered Judaism a, a sort of corrupted religion that, you know, when the, when the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon, that they brought this corruption with them. And so a principal difference that we see is that, for example, I mean, this is kind of what we read about in the New Testament, is that the Samaritans believed that God was to be worshipped at Shechem, which is Mount Gerizim, rather than in Jerusalem. So this is a very much a theological difference and not an ethnic difference, not a racial difference. So at the risk of oversimplifying this, you know, centuries-long nuanced dispute and fight and all the things that have happened, I mean, we could almost compare the hostility between Jews and Samaritans to the American version of the Hatfields and the McCoys. This is a, a feud based on historical grievances rather than racial differences. Okay, so in the same way, while, while anti-Jewish sentiment existed in the early church, it wasn't, again, an issue of race or ethnicity, but it was a clash of religious convictions, and the conflict went both ways, which is something we don't often hear about. Christians certainly argued strongly against unbelieving Jews but they argued against them on the basis that Judaism denied Jesus. And then the Jews, for their part, they argued vigorously against the Christians because they saw them as breaking with centuries of Jewish tradition and teaching heresy. So as this mini-series unfolds, we're going to dig into some early Christian writings, including those of the the New Testament authors. And as we do so, I just want to encourage you to enter the mind frame of the ancient Near East. Put yourself in this, if you can, it's very difficult. I I found it difficult myself to extract myself from my modern Western context. But really, if if we hope to accurately understand the nature of the relationship between Jews and Christians in the first few centuries after Christ, we really need to try at least to, to divest ourselves of our modern Western notions. You know, things like Racial theory, freedom of religion, separation of church and state, these are modern concepts that just did not exist back then. Okay, so that's probably a good spot for us to wrap up this first episode. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, Next episode, we're going to dive into the New Testament writings and see what they have to tell us. In the meantime, feel free to check out DivergenceBook.com or RLSolberg.com for more information. Uh, Again, check out the book if you'd like. The proceeds, I don't get any money from it, so the proceeds go to fighting anti-Semitism around the world. So if you want to pick up a copy or 10, be my guest thank you so much for listening in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Shalom.